Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash CraigU. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. Located to the northeast of Calgary in south-central Alberta, Starland County was the home of the Blackfoot for centuries. For the Blackfoot, the bison were an extremely important part of their culture, and they would follow the herds through the region to harvest them for food, supplies, and more. As settlers began to move into the area in the late 19th century, the indigenous would see the bison herds disappear. Eventually, the Blackfoot and other indigenous groups signed Treaty 7 in 1877, ceding their land to the Canadian government. Within Starland County, there is a beautiful landscape called Horse Thief Canyon, This canyon, which is located along the Red Deer River, has the distinctive features of badlands that are found throughout the region, and it makes for excellent picture opportunities and possible dinosaur fossil finds. As for the name, that comes from the fact that it was where the thriving illegal horse trade network could be found in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Horses were smuggled in from the United States and brought to the canyon where they were hidden to ensure the smugglers were not found by authorities. On maps and in tourist information booths, horse thief is often one word, but on a wooden sign near the canyon it is two words, lending a bit of evidence to the story of the name origin. 
Rowley was formed as a small community in 1912 when the railroad was built through the area. Homesteaders quickly began to arrive, finding land for themselves in the area, and the community quickly began to grow. Through the railroad, everything from goods, passengers, and mail started to arrive. Rowley actually served as the postal hub for the area, taking mail to settlers south of Stettler and north of Drumheller. Also in 1912, Craig Mile was formed. It was named for the Canadian Pacific Railway. It was named by the Canadian Pacific Railway, and it's believed that the name comes from the Scottish estate, but the concrete origin is not known. Despite being named in 1912, it would not be until 1914 that the railroad would first arrive in the community. Also formed around this time was Rumsey, and nearby to the community is one of the largest remaining tracts of northern fescue grassland in the entire world. Peter Fiddler, the celebrated explorer, was also known to have come through the area and commented on the thousands of bison in the area and the Blackfoot who were hunting the bison. In 1914, Delia Davis and her husband Alan Davis started a small store that catered to the growing number of residents who were arriving in the area. In honor of his wife, the local post office was named Delia for her. While the post office was named for her, the village that sprang up around the post office was originally named Highland. That name only lasted from 1914 to 1915, before the name of the community was changed to Delia. Delia is notable for something that happened in 1920, but its start began four years earlier when the Alberta legislature granted women the right to vote and sit in the legislature. The members of the Delia Women's Institute wanted to get a woman to run for council, and on December 11, 1919, Violet Bars was one of the three people elected to council. The announcement of her victory resulted in a spontaneous parade in the streets of Delia. Bars had come to Delia in 1912 with her husband, who worked as a carpenter in the community. At first, she wasn't interested in sitting on the council, as the newspaper story relates, quote, There was talk of getting a woman to stand for the village council. Mrs. Bars was proposed, but she thought she had quite enough on her hands at present, whereupon some of the ladies present offered to take over some of her lighter tasks, so as to enable her to grapple with the work so eminently suited to her. She deferred her decision till the next day, end quote. In January 1920, Bars was chosen as the new Reeve, serving until 1922. The Delia Times would report in 1921, quote, A pioneer in any field is always interesting, but a pioneer woman Reeve of a splendid type of woman Mrs. Bars represents reflects credit on the entire womanhood of Canada. She is the right idea that the franchise to vote is a trust as well as a right, end quote. Bars would continue to make history after her time as Reeve as well. She would sit on the Board of Governors of the University of Alberta from 1923 to 1940. She was the governor of the Immigration Committee of the Provincial Women's Institute, and she sat on the Advisory Committee on Immigrant Women's Issues for the Minister of Agriculture. Within Delia, she served as a nurse and helped many people through sickness over the years, including during the Spanish flu. For her decades of service to the community, she was presented with a silver cup in 1936, and this was no small honor considering it was the heart of the Great Depression. Around the same time Delia was formed as a community, Morin also sprang up, but did so under the name of Blooming Prairie. Before long, the name was changed to Morin in honor of the engineer of the first train to arrive in the community. It was under that name that the village would be incorporated on April 16, 1920. Munson, another community, would begin around 1911 and became a village on May 5, 1911. In 1913, the Blario Ferry would be constructed to cross the Red Deer River from Starland County to Nihil County. Originally it was called the Munson Ferry, and the name would be changed to the Blériot Ferry to honour Louis Blériot, a celebrated Canadian aviator and brother of the first ferry operator. 
The ferry continues to operate to this day and is one of the last remaining cable ferries in all of Alberta. It is definitely worth the trip to experience crossing a river as was once done a century ago. Munson, another village, would begin around 1911 and officially became a village on May 5th of that year. During the First World War, Munson was the site of a Ukrainian-Canadian internment camp where anyone deemed an enemy alien was housed. Those who were kept at the camp were put to work on the railroad, and at the camp, the structures were simply railway cars that had been set up. Unlike other internment camps, the one in Starland was set up late in the war on October 13, 1918, and it was only open for a brief period of time before it was moved to Eaton, Saskatchewan on February 25, 1919, although some sources say March 21, 1919. The time the camp was open was unfortunately coincided with the Spanish flu, and one of the men in the camp would die of the disease in November of 1918. Most of the internees were Ukrainian Canadians who were forced off the land simply because they had immigrated from a country that was allied with the Germans in the war. Rather than be identified as Ukrainians, the newspapers simply called them Austrians and Germans. At the camp, there was a total of 63 internees. The Kingston British Whig would report, quote, as these men are interned as undesirables, the popular feeling is that they should be deported as soon as the internment camps are broken up. End quote. In 1912, the Municipal District of Morin, number 277, was created, and at the same year the name would change to the Municipal District of Starland, number 277. In 1998, the name officially changed to Starland County. Sod houses were an important part of homesteading during the early 20th century in future Starland County. Due to the fact that the houses were built using sod, none remain. Most would disappear within a couple years. To honor the pioneers who made those houses, some places have worked to recreate them. In Morin, you can find one of those houses. In 1980, as a way to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Alberta, a sod house was built in the community and it continues to stand to this day. The sod came from the farm of Vance Montgomery, and it was his wife who was credited with coming up with the idea. Vance would say, quote, we didn't have a clue about how to build it, but we got some books and read up on how the pioneers did it. End quote. Bob Shields would say, quote, I didn't meet anyone who once had lived in a sod house, but I talked to several who knew someone who knew someone else who had once occupied such a dwelling. End quote. In all, it took about 30 volunteers to build the sod house. Doug Grenville would say, quote, There was no campaign. People just started bringing things in. It's amazing how it all came together. End quote. The sod house would differ somewhat from the sod houses of a century ago. First, there was more sturdy lumber used, the windows were double-paned, and waterproof planks were used under the sod on the roof to prevent it from leaking. Grenville would suggest the idea of renting it out for $35 per night. He would say, quote, People never get a chance to spend a night in a sod house. We could rent it out. I don't suppose it would ever happen, but it might. End quote. A popular stopping place for tourists, the house has stood for 29 years when it was finally time to fix it up as it was showing its age. The project to fix up the house would cost upwards of $20,000 in 2009, and the construction would remain similar to the original house, and more modern construction and restoration techniques would be used to ensure the house could stand for several more decades. One of the more interesting aspects of the restoration was that the volunteers were made of the children and families of the original people who constructed the house in 1980. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. By the 1930s, many communities in central and southern Alberta were starting to feel the effects of the Great Depression. One of the hardest-hit communities was Rowley. By the 1930s, a few hundred people called the community home, but a slow decline would begin throughout the decade. By the 1970s, the community was full of empty houses and empty businesses, and only a few dozen people remained. It was in that decade that everything began to change. No, there wasn't a sudden population boom in Rowley, but the locals decided that their community would not go quietly into the night. Thus began the story of the ghost town that survived and became a thriving tourist stop. Before I begin talking about this community's amazing work to preserve its legacy, I want to mention I visited Rowley and it's one of the best ghost towns I have ever seen. So much is preserved and you can spend a few hours exploring the community. So one night in the 1970s, the liquor supply in the community was dwindling as the residents had a party. They found a solution by breaking into the old boarded-up saloon. As they entered the saloon for their B&E party, the locals cleaned up the bar and immediately renamed the business Sam Saloon after a local who was well-respected. It was at that party that the locals decided they would spruce up the community and make it a heritage stop. Since then, a community association was formed, and they meet on the last Saturday of every month to maintain the aging buildings. Through the summer, they hold pizza and beer fundraisers and other events to raise money to keep the buildings from falling apart. This effort has worked. Before COVID-19, the community would sometimes boast upwards of 700 people for a party on the streets of the community, in the community hall, saloon, and pool hall. It should be noted that the population of the community by this point was less than 10 people. Along with the fundraisers, the community has also collected over $600,000 in grants to improve its tourism. Within the museum, you can visit the old train station, the schoolhouse, and the store that are populated by mannequins dressed in period clothing from the 1920s during the boom years of Rowley. The museum houses many artifacts from the community and the area dating back to the 1800s. The rebuild of Rowley has also had other benefits and those came in the form of movies. In 1988, Bye Bye Blues was filmed there. Other films to shoot in the area and in the town include The Magic of the Ordinary Days and Legends of the Fall. This would lead to the refurbishment of several buildings. And while the buildings are refurbished, they are mostly just for looking at now. Lucille Hampton, a resident in the 1980s and postmistress, would say, quote, Everything's just to look at around here. There's nothing that's real. End quote. Within Rowley, the grain elevators still stand as well. Grain elevators have disappeared across the prairie landscape, but Rowley has preserved its elevators as part of its efforts to keep its past alive. The Rowley Grain Elevator Row includes three elevators, an engine shed, two office buildings, and a fuel shed. The elevators were built between 1917 and 1932, handling tens of thousands of bushels of crops. By the late 1980s, the elevators were no longer used as the rail line was rerouted and farmers transported their grain elsewhere. Rather than tear down the elevators, they continue to stand, and that benefits the community to this day. The United Grain Growers Elevator is the oldest known example of an elevator constructed by the United Grain Growers in all of Alberta, and the Cyril Grain Company Grain Elevator is also the oldest known example of an elevator constructed by that company in Alberta. Due to the heritage of the elevators and the work to restore them, the entire elevator row was made a provincial historic resource in 2010. The purchase of the elevators and the station master's house cost the town $3 to buy, but $100,000 to refurbish, including with new roofs. John Schmidt of the Calgary Herald would write of Rowley, quote, There are a couple of dozen communities like Rowley, which have been created by a continued decline in the farm population. However, it could prove a great fun for those left in the community to keep it alive with a bit of imagination and community spirit, end quote. 
A great way to explore the natural beauty of Starland County is to visit the Michichi Creek Boardwalk. This interpretive trail consists of raised decking, shale paths, and a grassed walkway maintained by the county. The trail will educate you on the importance of the Red Deer River watershed, and along the way you will find year-round wetland areas that were created by beaver dams, providing a habitat for many birds, fish, and mammals. The trail runs for one kilometer and features 11 educational signposts that highlight the history of the local dam, as well as the flora, fauna, soils, geology, and more. If you'd like to learn more about the history of the district, then a great place to check out is the Delilah Museum and Gristmill. This museum was built in 1913 and served as a school for the children of the area. After its time as a school was finished, it would eventually begin a new life as a museum. Within the museum, you will be able to explore hundreds of local artifacts that highlight the history of the area. Next to the museum, there is the only new ideal of Branford Gould, Sharpley & Company gristmill of its type in all of Western Canada. The mill is powered by the wind, which allows for the collection of water, grinding grain, and even cutting lumber. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Starlin County. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to Canada ehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.